hearts and favors. Because you have forgiven us, Lord. And forgive us for not being thankful and taking your goodness in our lives for granted. And help us understand the treasure that we have in Christ. That you have made us one with Christ. Help us to live. Well, I want to thank the music team for their efforts and their good job of leading us as we seek to sing and worship the Lord together. I want to encourage you, we have um, in the, on the back, on the sound booth, the lyrics to the song. So Sunday mornings you come in, if you want to look at those lyrics, um, one of the things I would encourage, maybe on your way out, to pick up some, uh, the songs we're choosing, we want to be praying the gospel, preaching the gospel, but also singing the gospel. And the songs that we are singing, we purposefully choose to help help us to understand the gospel in greater ways. And one of the beautiful things that music is able to do, that music is able to say things in ways that are, that are creative. And what I love about the kind of songs we're singing is they're singing, saying things in those lyrics that, that I wish my heart could say, but my brain and my imagination doesn't say it. And so it's a beautiful theology written very well and uh, would be just a good song those lyrics. Well, this time the kids can be dismissed to Children's Church. And if the rest of us will open our Bibles this morning to the book of Matthew. Uh, we're in the book of Matthew, chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, there's one close to you in the pew. Um, if you need a pew Bible, this is on page 835. I want to encourage you to follow along uh, with us in the text as we open up our Bibles this morning. Well, as we begin this message, this, this next three weeks, we're going to be on a three-week mini-series on the topic of discipleship. Uh, we've been talking, we spent three weeks talking about evangelism, we spent three weeks talking about prayer, and now we're going to spend three weeks talking about discipling or discipleship. And these are three big emphases that we believe that God calls us to as a church. He calls us to be faithful to the ministry of prayer, that we would be people that are depending not on ourselves but on God, and we'd be demonstrating that through prayer. That we would be re- recognized that God has called us to the task of seeking to teach others the gospel so that they would come to know, love, and live for Jesus, the work of evangelism. And this work of discipling that God calls us to continue to teach the gospel to believers so that we will know, love, and live for Jesus more and more. So these three topics, prayer, evangelism, and discipling, are big priorities for us and things you're going to keep hearing lots about and the call to be faithful to these. Well, as we begin this morning, I want you to um, give thought to the question, what happens when something captures your heart? What happens when something captures your heart? Um, Coming off of weddings over the past summer, whenever something catches the heart of a young lady and it's a young guy and you're out of college, what happens is you're heading towards marriage. You know, you're longing to this because you're all in to this other person. When they've captured your heart, you want to get married. We think about the things that capture our heart. A whole variety of things can capture our heart. We are in college football season right now. And um, I don't want to talk about Purdue football, but we could talk about almost anything else. But we think about how 
how things like that can capture our hearts. And you watch people, heart cap- hearts captured by college football. They paint their bodies in different colors. They tailgate. They schedule their whole fall around football season. It's all about that. We see things, people capturing people's hearts. Maybe the... Um, Maybe a new job captures somebody's heart and they just love this new job and they pour themselves into it. And we can think about a whole lot of things that capture our hearts. But one of the common things that happen is what captures our heart, we're all into it. We're all into it. It's not just something I'm just a little bit passionate about, but when our hearts are captured, we are all in. And this morning, we're going to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about this ministry of discipling. And want us to, what I want us to see this morning is that, that this gospel of Jesus Christ, the person of Christ himself, should so capture our hearts that we are all in for him. That we are all in for him, whatever he calls us to, wherever he calls us to go, whatever he wants us to do, because he has captured our hearts, because we love him, we are all in. And that's what I want us to see this morning. And in, in our passage, we're going to see that Jesus, his, following his resurrection, he commissions his disciples. He gives them a charge. He gives them something to do. In our passage, it's called the Great Commission. And we're going to see how this has implications in our lives and the manner in which we conduct ourselves. And then to be asking ourselves, if I'm all in, if the love of Christ has truly captured my heart, What does my life need to look like in terms of discipling? Well, let us pray, and then we'll look at this section of Scripture together. Father, I pray today that you would open our hearts and minds to understand your truth. Lord, we thank you that you have given yourself for us through the Son, through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray this morning as we think about this whole issue of discipling and growing and changing as believers and helping others to grow to know love and live for you more and more. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be captured by you and that we would love you, that we would love you more than anything else and our whole lives would be transformed and shaped by that love. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, Matthew twenty-eight sixteen says this, Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Verse 17, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, verse 16 begins by talking about the 11 disciples. And the 11 disciples, you think we pause, well, I thought there were 12 disciples. Well, Jesus did call 12 disciples, but by this time in Jesus' ministry, Judas has betrayed Jesus. Judas has uh, had some remorse. He gave the money that he, they gave him to buy him out, to betray Jesus. He threw that back, gave it to the guys, and then he went out and he hung himself. And so there are only 11 disciples now. And this idea of disciples, that Jesus had plenty of other disciples, but this 11 defines this 12, this 11 that would be this apostolic group. The ones who are going to be the, have been with Jesus the whole three years. They're, they're going to see the resurrected Jesus. He's giving them a commission And this idea of disciple, the word disciple very simply means a follower of Jesus. So so if you are 
have been born again, if you have been made new, if you profess to be a Christian, then you are a disciple. And this idea of disciple means that you follow Jesus. And the connection here is that you can't say that you love Jesus. You can't say that you're a Christian and not follow Jesus. Because you can't say, I'm a follower of Jesus without following him. Right? It's pretty clear. So we understand the disciples are those who follow Jesus. And here then it says, this 11 disciples, they went to Galilee, to the mountain that which Jesus had directed them. Now, as we look back up a little earlier in this chapter, we see the instructions that Jesus gave to go there. So let's look up in chapter 28. Let's begin in verse 1. And it gives us this post-crucifixion. Jesus has been buried in chapter 27. The tomb has been guarded. And in chapter 28, we read what happened in this resurrection. It says, Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. For the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here For he has risen as he said. See, come, see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, here's our key, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly to the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them. And said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there I will see them. So these ladies go to the tomb. The tomb's empty. The angel shows up to them and says, Tell the disciples that Jesus is going to head to Galilee. They head there. They're going to tell the disciples, and they meet the resurrected Jesus. Right? He's been dead. He's alive now. And he tells them to go ahead to, to, to uh, Galilee. And that's what we see in verse uh, 16. They head to Galilee. They're doing exactly what Jesus says. And we'd ask, why are they doing what Jesus said? Because they are his followers they're his disciples disciples do what jesus say and it says in verse 17 and when they this 11 saw him they worshiped him look up back earlier we read that two of the ladies there they see jesus and it says in verse 9 it says when jesus says greeting they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him see they understand He's a resurrected Messiah. He's been proclaiming that he is God. He's demonstrated that he is God through his teaching, through his miracles, but also predicting his death, burial, and now his resurrection. And their response to Jesus was to worship him. And I would argue with you that is a, that is a, that is a mark of a disciple. A mark of a disciple follows Jesus. A mark of a disciple is we worship Jesus. That he is the greatest thing there is and we worship him appropriately. So, their response, they worship him. And it says in verse 17, but some doubted. Right? And who's the doubter? 
Yeah, Thomas. We read that. Why did Thomas doubt? Well, because Jesus had appeared to several disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. And they told him, hey, Jesus is risen from the dead. And Thomas is like, I don't believe it. There's no way. I'm not going to believe it until I see his hands and those sides. I can't believe it. And the beautiful thing is Jesus, in his, his love, what does he do? Shows up to Thomas. John chapter, I think, 19 or 20. Shows up to Thomas, and he says, here I am. Touch. And Thomas falls at Jesus' feet, and he says, my Lord and my God. That the doubter becomes a believer. And Jesus then says, blessed are you, Thomas, because you've seen and believed. Then he says, blessed are those who believe but have not seen. Who's that? That's us. Right? Jesus blesses us in that. So, some doubted, but they worship him. And in the context of this, then Jesus is going to say to them in verse 18, let's read this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is what we call the Great Commission, that Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go, to go and make disciples. So disciples are to be making disciples. The followers of Jesus are to do what Jesus did. Jesus made disciples, they're to make disciples. We're disciples, we've been commissioned to make disciples. But Jesus doesn't start there. He begins by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What we see is that this call of Jesus, this call to make disciples, is an authoritative command. This isn't just a good suggestion. He begins this by saying he has all authority, heaven and on earth, it all belongs to Jesus. Now, as we're reading through the Gospels, as we're reading through the bigger sections of the Bible, we, this shouldn't surprise us that Jesus has all authority. Let's look at a couple passages that will point us to this. The first is in an Old Testament book of Daniel. Okay, so turn with me in your Bibles, the Old Testament book of Daniel. If you're using a pew Bible, this is on, um, this is on page eight, 746 or 47. Daniel chapter 7. Actually, it's 745 in the pew Bible. And in the book of Daniel, Daniel, God's giving him visions of the future, visions of heaven and all these things going on, these fantastic visions, most of these visions to assure Daniel that God is in control of all history, that kingdoms rise and fall, but God is sovereign over all of them. And one of these visions then in Daniel chapter 7, we'll wait till we get there, Daniel seven thirteen. As Daniel seeing this, he says in verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. So he's seeing these visions of heaven, there's one who shows up like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And this ancient of days would be God the Father, and so God the Father, there's one who is, comes to him who looks like a son of man. So he looks similar to us, and he comes to this ancient of days. 
And in verse 14, and to him, the son of man from the father was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages would serve him. His dominion or his rule is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so there's this image you see is God the Father and one comes to him like the Son of Man and this one of the Son of Man is given what? All authority. All authority is given to him. He has given dominion and authority and glory over all people, nations, languages. Everybody's going to serve him. It may all pass away, but his kingdom is going to stand. And this is talking about Jesus, who is the one who has all authority. And it's granted to him from the Father. And we say, well, why was it granted to him? Let's, let's look in the book of John. So let's... Turn back to the book of John, chapter 3, and this is, on, uh, this is on page 888 in the Pew Bible. In John chapter 3, it was a familiar chapter, it talks about Nicodemus, we spoke on this a few weeks ago, that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, Jesus says to him, you must be born again. And you're born again by believing in the Son. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes should not perish. Now, as we read on through this chapter, John chapter 3, verse 35 says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. Jesus has all authority. The Old Testament, the Son of Man, is given all authority. Here he gives them to him. Let's look in John chapter 17. One of the things is we would think about, how many times does the Bible need to say something for it to be important? One time, right? Okay. Why, did, why are things repeated then? They're repeated for emphasis so that we won't miss it. Don't miss this fact. And this idea, the Son of Man is have the authority that Jesus has given authority. John 17, verse 1 says this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given, here it is, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given to him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So, eternal life is knowing God. Where do we get this gift of eternal life? We receive it from the Son. The Son who has what? Who has received all authority from the Father and then gives eternal life. Jesus has all authority. He has life in himself. Now, one more passage in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. This is on page 981 in your pew Bible. Philippians chapter 2. 
By the way, I appreciate the fact I'm hearing lots of Bibles turning and looking at this together. That's important for us to realize it's not just the pastor telling you these truths. We want to see them from Scripture. So I appreciate you turning to these passages. It says in chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 4, but the highlight is at the end of it. It all builds. But in verse 4, we're told, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interest of others. Okay, so we need to be more concerned about others than ourselves. Well, why? Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, Jesus is fully God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant born in the likeness of man. Okay, so there's the virgin birth of Jesus, the eternal Son of God, takes on flesh. Verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Okay, so we have the eternal Son of God. He has stepped out of heaven. He has clothed himself with flesh, limited himself to all that it means to be a man, lived among us, never sinned. He became a servant, just not a servant, but a lowly servant. How low of a servant that he served us even to death on a cross by taking our sins upon himself. And then verse 9 tells us, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Jesus has all authority and he has given all of this authority. Why is the Son of Man given authority from the ancient of days? Because he's humbled himself, taken on flesh, and he's purchased our redemption He has made it possible for us to be saved. He is rescuing us from the wrath of God. And because of his humility, he gives all, Jesus is given all authority. So, all that to say, God has now, this Jesus back in Matthew 28, okay, let's get back there. Matthew 28, 835 in the Pew Bible. What's the command, he says? Verse 19, all authority has been given to me. So if Jesus is an authority, what does that mean should be our response to him? Good, I heard it. Serve him, to obey him. He has all authority. And he has all this authority for all the things that he's done because of who he is, because of what he has done. And now he tells us in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And what we see is the one who has all authority commands us. He commands us to go and make disciples. That is his command. And then we see that in those passages that we've been given this command. He is giving us an authoritative command. And if we love him, we will keep his commandments. And what we understand is is that the, the, the obedience, our response to him is because we love him. We just pause here. Could Jesus, because he has all authority, simply command us to do what he says, whether we like it or not? Absolutely. He could, with an iron fist, command us to do exactly what he calls us to do and then control us and make us to do it whether we want to or not. He could do that. 
But that's not the character of our God. The char- he has all authority, but he has all authority. And the manner in which he motivates us to obey him is certainly his authority, but also his love. And this is where the grace of God comes into this, that we recognize that why we, should, why we should obey God is because we love Him. And we might ask the question, well, why should we love God? Well, John 3.16 makes it really clear. For God so what? Love who? The world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever what? Believe, that means I know the truth, I agree with the truth, and I surrender to the truth. Whoever believes in Him shall not what? Because what should happen to us because of our sins? We should perish. So we should not perish but have everlasting life. He has loved us in ways that we don't deserve to be loved. He's given Himself for us. 2 Corinthians five fourteen and 15 You don't need to turn there. You hear me say it all the time, but write it down. That the love of Christ controls us. If I'm a follower of Jesus, what controls me? It's a love for Him. The love of Christ controls me. Having concluded this, why does the love of Jesus control me? Because I've concluded, verse 15, for that one died for all, and therefore all died. Jesus died for us. That's That's why we love Him. And it says, He died, this gospel, so that we would no longer live for who? Ourselves. But for Him who died and was raised on our behalf. Why Why do we obey God? We obey God because we love Him. Why do we obey Jesus? Because we love Him. 1 John 4, 19 says, We love because He first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. And I would ask the question, do you truly love God? Do you really love Jesus? He's given you every reason to love Him. He's created you. He's given you every breath you have ever taken. Every good gift you've ever received has come at His gracious hand. In His love, He's done more than that, though. In His love, He has taken your rebellion against a holy God and taken that upon Himself. He has suffered and nailed to the cross, died for your sins to take those away so that if you will repent and believe this gospel, you will be made new. And when you repent and believe, you're made new and God seeks to transform your love. And I would ask you the question this morning, do you love Him? Now, it's an easy thing to say yes to. What if I said, prove it? How would you prove that you love God? Jesus says in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. See, we live in a culture where everybody says, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to do whatever I want to. The Scriptures don't teach that. Because listen, if Jesus captures our hearts, what happens? We're all in. We're all in for Him. Whatever He says, that's what I'm going to do. That's what my life is going to be about. It's going to be about serving, loving, and living for Jesus rather than serving, loving, and living for myself. And I would ask the question, have you come to the point where you truly love Jesus and you've been truly born again and made new? And I would encourage you, examine your heart. 
And if you'd say, I'm not sure I'm there. I would say, first of all, if you're convinced you need to love him, I would encourage you to repent and say, God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for living and loving myself. And God, I surrender my life and I want to live for you because of the love that you've shown me in Jesus Christ. I surrender myself to you and he makes you new. And if you're a believer and you say, I've, I've been in love with him, but I've kind of lost some of that. I would urge you this morning to renew that first love. I would encourage anybody who's wrestling with that, begin in the book of, of John. Read, it this, read all of it this week, 21 chapters, three chapters a day. You can get the whole thing read this week. Identify who is Jesus saying he is, what has he come to do, and what difference does it make in my life? And I'm convinced the answer you'll come away with is that he loves me. I'm a rebel, far more sinful than I think, but he's loved me, and so I'm going to surrender my life to him. Encourage you to look at that. Well, back to the commission. Jesus says with this authoritative command, go and make disciples. Well, what does this mean for us to make disciples? Well, he says this. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's what we'll see. The first work of disciple making is to help unbelievers know, love, and live for Jesus. Okay, so this is evangelism. Right? Discipling under the umbrella of that. The first one is evangelism. And his evangelism, I'm talking to unbelievers. And I, what do I want them? I want them to know, love, and live for Jesus. You say, well, how do you get that from the text, Pastor Steve? It doesn't use the word evangelism. No, it says baptizing them. And when we say, read about baptism, baptism, as we read through the New Testament, implies evangelism. Because baptism in the New Testament, that we see baptism follows belief. Baptism follows belief. And so whenever we think about discipleship, that we are to teach the gospel, and we want people to know, love, and live for Jesus more and more. Okay, so in this idea that in evangelism, we want to know, love, and live for Jesus. Okay, and so we're persuading others to this. Right? Well, what is baptism all about then? If that's what evangelism is, that we baptize those who believe. And so we would describe baptism this way, that baptism is a visible expression of an invisible reality. Okay? It's a visible expression of an invisible reality. What is the invisible reality? When I repent and believe in Jesus Christ, I'm united to him. I'm united to him, I'm with him, I'm in him. And so that's what happens at salvation. I repent, believe, I'm united to Jesus. What's baptism? In baptism, we are buried and raised. We're buried in the likeness of Jesus. So we're saying, I'm dead to my old self. I'm dead to my sin because of what Jesus has done. And then in baptism, I'm raised to walk in newness of life. Just as Jesus was buried and raised, I'm telling the world, it's this public, it is this visible image of an invisible reality that I've been dead in my sin and now I'm alive in Christ. And I'm going to walk in faithfulness to him. And so we see throughout the New Testament that those who are baptized are those who believe. And so we baptize to identify with and in obedience to Jesus. We identify with Jesus, but he says, go and then baptized. So if I'm a believer, God calls me to be baptized. Now, 
we would, we would clearly make the statement that baptism does not save. A baptism, we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. Baptism is a response to being saved. Okay? So we often then hear people say that, um, well, we'll just get pointed, that there are some of you who have not been baptized here who are believers. And I would ask you the question, why not? You say, well, are you saying I have to be saved to be baptized to be saved? I said, well, no, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that if you're a believer, you're a disciple of Jesus, you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I love Jesus, those who love Jesus obey his commands, what command has he given to us to be baptized? And I would be asking the question, why haven't you been baptized? And I would be really curious to hear that answer. Because I'm guessing you don't have a good one. Because the scripture says to do it. And you say, well, I don't have to be saved to be baptized, so I don't have to be baptized to be... You know what I'm saying. Okay, baptism doesn't save, right? We make sure I get this theology right. Baptism doesn't save, right? You say, but if I'm a believer, I'm going to obey. And my concern would be that you're rejecting the command of God and calling yourself a lover of God. Maybe there's more going on in your heart than you think, and maybe you're not really where you think you are if you're willfully disobeying a clear command of God. So, don't hear me. I don't want to get baptism ahead of your salvation. I want to ensure that you're truly born again. And let's talk about, let's talk about baptism. Let's talk about taking a step of obedience. And I'm confident. What does God honor? Steps of obedience. And if we love Him, we'll obey Him, and we obey Him in this command of baptism. And as a church, what are we called to do? We're called to go and make disciples. And as we share the gospel with others, people believe the gospel, they repent and believe. What do we want to do? We baptize them with this, this outward expression, this, this, in, this visible expression of this invisible reality that we walk together in Christ. Well, the passage goes on, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lots of theology there. There's one name. Name is singular, but then you have three names, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One name, three names. One name, three persons. This is pointing us clearly to the doctrine of the Trinity. There is one true and living God who lives as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, they're distinct but not separate. And we baptize because it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who all work in our salvation, and we honor Him by the single name, the one God, and being baptized in that name. And so in verse 20 then it goes on. In verse 20 he goes on and says this, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So if we see our first work of disciple-making is to help unbelievers know, love, and live for Jesus. That's our first work, is evangelism. Okay? That we would see... There's a note there. Yeah, sure, get your blanks filled in. I know you like that. Okay? That we recognize that the ongoing work of disciple-making... So in disciple-making, there's the initial work of evangelizing, of helping unbelievers to know, love, and live for Jesus... In disciple-making, there's an ongoing work. 
And the ongoing work is, what are we doing? We're helping people to know, love, and live for Jesus. And how are we doing that? Well, we do it by continuing to teach the gospel. What we, listen, we never graduate from the gospel. The gospel, Tim Keller says this, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. A, the, the gospel is the A to Z of the Christianity. Our whole Christian life is lived in light of this gospel. And that's why as believers, we need to continually be reminded of the gospel. Because as believers, listen, we we recognize God forgives us and makes us new. But one of the primary statements of the gospel, I really appreciate a number of authors say this, that, that, that the gospel reveals to us that we are way more sinful than we think. Listen, this morning you may be beating yourself up over some rebellion and sins that you've done and committed and you're just like, I can't believe I did that. Listen, I've got bad news for you. You don't know the half of it. You are way more sinful than you even think that you are because it's not just your actions, it's your heart, it's your desires. And yet here's the other truth of the gospel, that in Jesus you are loved more than you could ever imagine. That's the beauty of the gospel. We see the depths of our sins and we see the heights of his love. And when we understand that, we're motivated to live for him. We're motivated to love him. And so if evangelism is teaching believers so that they will know Jesus, we want to teach the gospel so that people live for Jesus. And so we teach the gospel with an aim to persuade believers to know, love, and live for Jesus more and more. And that ought to be the reality of each one of our lives, to be able to look, where am I today versus where I was a year ago in my walk with Jesus and say, there are things in my life that it's clear I'm loving Jesus better and more now than I did a year ago. What's the evidence of that? My relationships. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, those are things that are growing in my life. I'm, I'm being a disciple. As I follow Jesus, he continues to change me. He continues to grow me. So I know, love, and live for him more and more and more. Very simple understanding of discipling. Well, how do we do this? Well, we do this in a few, about a month or so ago, we had a little card with some pictures of this that we'll review tonight. But we make disciples by this. By proclaiming God's word, okay, with prayerful dependence on God's spirit to accomplish God's purposes in God's time. Now, there's a key word all through that. God's word, God's spirit, God's purposes, God's time. It's all about him. Okay, discipleship is all about God. And we do all these things. So we proclaim God's word. Why do we proclaim his word? Because that's where the power is. We proclaim this book because it is inspired, inerrant, infallible. It is the Word of God that has power to change lives. And so this is what we preach. Now, we love the Bible because it reveals to us the one that we truly love, the one that we worship. So we don't worship the Bible. We love it because it reveals Jesus to us. We worship Jesus. So we proclaim the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. That's why, where the power is. We do this in prayerful dependence, knowing we can't change anybody's heart on our own. We can't open blind eyes. We can't make dead hearts come to life. We can't bring darkness. We can't bring light to darkness on our own. 
that the Spirit of God has to work. So we proclaim God's Word with prayerful dependence on God's Spirit to accomplish God's purposes. God's purposes of rescuing unbelievers from the darkness and the wrath of God and renewing believers into the image of Jesus. We proclaim God's Word in prayerful dependence on God's Spirit to accomplish God's purposes in God's time. And we realize that in God's time means that that we plant and water, we plant and water. We're seeking to be faithful and trusting God to cause the growth. And because of that, we don't lose heart. There are seasons when things get really hard and we're not seeing much fruit and things may get difficult, but our task is to remain faithful. Faithful to the Great Commission to go and make disciples, to continue to share the gospel, to continue to help believers to grow in their relationship with Jesus. We stay steadfast and immovable on this great commission that God's called us to. That's our task. And we do this because we're trusting God to use His Word, His Spirit, to accomplish His purposes in His time. It's God's plan. And we're we're instruments in His hands. We are simply instruments. Now, he then he finishes this in verse 20, and he says this, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the passage begins with this authoritative command to go and make disciples. And the beautiful thing in that command, we obey that command because we, he, Jesus is author, the authority, but because we love him, but we also see that the call to make disciples comes with a motivating promise. What's the motiv- motivating promise? That Jesus is always with us. He is always with us. He is with you always to the end of the age. Listen to what a couple of verses say. You can maybe write these down. The first one's Deuteronomy 31.6. It says this, Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6. Isaiah 41.5 says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. I will, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is the promise. God is always with us. And here Jesus says, And behold, I am with you when? Always to the end of the age. Every moment he's with us. Why is he with us? Because if we've repented of our sins, we've trusted him, we've been united to him. And because we're united to him, he has captured our hearts. Because he's captured our hearts, we love him. And because he's captured our hearts and we love him, what's our response? We're all in. Now we're all in. This is what he calls us to. This is what I'm going to do. And as we consider this this morning, we must recognize that we must be good stewards. God's given us this gospel to help others to know that we must not hide God's, this gospel under a bush. We've got this treasure in jars of clay to let others know that we can't simply hide it in our heart. We need to get God's word hidden in our heart, but it doesn't stay there. We need to let others know. So we need to faithfully pursue God's well done. Go and make disciples. 
And this morning, the question for us then from this text is, are you being faithful to this authoritative command to go and make disciples? Are you being obedient to this motivating promise that Jesus is always with us? And so the question is, who are you helping to know, love, and live for Jesus? Now, you write it down. Now, think about it. Who are, you do, who are you investing in to help them truly know, love, and live for Jesus? And maybe the question, maybe you say, well, I'm not sure. But I just pause here. I will preach another sermon on this. But if you're a parent, it starts with your kids. So, next question then is, who will you help know, love, and live for Jesus. See, it's wonderful to hear a sermon on the Great Commission. We hear this a lot. It's a significant passage. I know Jesus has authority. I know I have a motivational promise here. I know where to go and make disciples. All nations, I know that, I know that, I know that. That's not the question. The question isn't, do you know this? Do you understand this? The question is, are you applying these truths? Are you investing your time, your resources into helping others know, love, and live for Jesus? And so maybe I would ask you this morning to write down a couple names at the bottom of your page today. And I would encourage you to say, well, I'm not sure what to write down or who. I'd encourage you to pray two things. One, God, stir my heart to obey you out of love. And number two, God, open my eyes to know who is around me that you would like for me to be investing in. We're going to pray this morning, and as we pray in just a moment, our ushers will come, we'll receive our morning offering. But I want to encourage you this morning to consider who are you and who will you help to know, love, and live for Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the love that you've given to us in Christ Lord, that you have every reason simply just to command us to obey you and then make us do it. But God, in your love, you have sought to stir us up and to stir our hearts by your love for us. And so, God, I pray that we would be a people who are driven by the gospel because we love you. And Lord, help us to to obey this command, to go and make disciples, that we would be asking ourselves who and how, who can we engage with, how will we be doing this? Lord, I pray that you would help us with this. And Lord, I pray this morning for someone here who's wrestling with, do they truly know Jesus and truly love you? If that's something they're wrestling with, I pray this morning that they would talk to somebody they came with or seek out someone here in the church that we could help them to think through this and to give them a little direction this morning. Lord, if there are believers here who are believers but not been baptized, I pray this morning that you would stir their hearts to, to reflect if they truly know you and they truly love you, why aren't they obeying you? I pray you'd stir their hearts to follow you in the step of obedience. God, help us this morning. Help us to examine our hearts. Do we truly love you? And what's the evidence? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.